The Grace Conference has encouraged me to really make sure that I understand the gospel clearly so that I can tell others clearly. Because if you don't have salvation by grace, you really can't have any true spiritual growth as a believer. It's going to be warped. I think that's what's the most important thing about the Grace Conference. The highlight is grace. If we're willing, God will give us grace to do whatever he wants us to do. Jesus, the Son of God, died as an innocent lamb on a cross, poured out that precious, beautiful blood. Anyone who believes in him, at that very moment, you have eternal life. This is a great place to grow spiritually and to grow closer to the Lord. So I highly recommend the Grace Conference. Everything at the Grace Conference is first class. There's so many different speakers and ways that you can get different perspectives to grow your faith. Just have a really good, relaxing time learning about God's Word. I would say don't wait. Get your tickets right now. (laughs) The food is fantastic. The God of Heaven is jealous of you, wants you to honor him and serve him. And there's a place for you in what it is that God of Heaven wants to do. Grace gave man sight when he was blind. Grace gave man strength when he was weak. And grace brought freedom It's an amazing grace. Grace is amazing. Uh, We could be talking about Grace for Zane, who uh, we just had a service remembering her husband, Ken, yesterday. And it was one of the most um, uplifting funerals uh, that any of us remember. Just so wonderful to remember Ken and uh, all that he meant to our church and to so many people, and to hear all the details that we didn't know about him. And so, uh, Grace is the epitome of grace. If you don't know her, please get to know Grace for Zane. And uh, we continue to pray for the family as they uh, live a life without Ken, but uh, Ken will uh, certainly be excited to see them and us again in heaven. I would like to know if there are any volunteers. I usually use young people because older people don't typically like to come up on the stage. Uh, I have to because you guys you know, make me every Sunday uh, get up on the stage. But um, would any of you, especially young people, like to come up? I need two volunteers. And yes... There is some money involved. So any of you uh, young people, it's real simple. It's not embarrassing. It'll be a lot of fun. You're going to love it. Want to come up here? Anybody? I'm going to pick on my daughters if I don't have some kids coming up here quickly. Should I have my daughters come up? (laughs) The crowd has spoken. Do I have some kids up here somewhere? My kids, do you guys want to do it? 20 bucks. 
Wow. I tell you what, um, when I was a kid, when my dad would preach and I would be part of the sermon illustration, oh, I think we should. I got like a dollar. And then my kids demanded 20. And so, how are you guys? Good. Do you have names? What's your name? Nate. Nate and Mark. It's short for Nathan. It is short for Nathan. Okay. All right. I want you guys to stand over here. I'll have one of you stand on that side and one of you stand on this side. And I have these beautiful bottles of water. And if I can get a camera to zoom in, uh, let's do that camera. Can you all read what's on that bottle? Eternal. Did you all know there was such a brand? I think they made it for this sermon illustration. And I bet if you went to the store where my wife, wife bought these, they, they probably don't have them because I think that was like God putting them on the shelf just for us today. Eternal, naturally alkaline spring water. Okay. So do you guys like water? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good, right? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you that bottle and I'm going to give you that bottle. So take the bottle. Okay. Good. Now, I want you to open it and make sure you hear that click. So keep going. There, you hear that click? Okay, there's the click. That means that it's sealed, okay? And I want you to open it and put the lid on the table. Okay, now, I want you to be ready to take a drink, but I'm going to do something to yours. Um, just, it's not a big deal. It's, it's just, um, I want to put a little bit of dirt in there. Um, I went to the garden this morning and I just, it's, 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 I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's clean. It's, 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 there's probably no problem with this at all. And I, I just want you to then, um, you know, just, it, it's not a big deal at all. Okay. I'm sure it's fine. There's, there's been worms. I had to pick out a couple worms and some other, uh, bacteria related things here. So there we go. Let's make sure we, we mix it all up good because I don't want you to just drink just water, right? Okay, so how's that? Are you interested in drinking that? You're not. You're not. And, and are you interested in drinking that? Because yours is pure. We haven't done anything to yours. You want, you want to take a big drink of that? Go ahead. Take a big drink of that water. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> He's going to take the whole thing down. Okay. So are you sure you don't want to drink that? Yeah. Okay. Listen, I don't blame you. I think if you had taken a drink of that, I would think there's something wrong with you. Okay. So it's a problem, isn't it? When we take something that's pure and healthy and good and eternal, and if we add something to it that pollutes it, there's a problem with that, right? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad you agree. And did you enjoy that water? Was it good? Was it some of the best water you've ever had in your life? Yeah, just about. Okay. So I'm going to give you guys the 20 bucks that my daughters were coming up to get. And you get $20. And you get $20. Give them a huge hand. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right, you can go down. I don't think we get to pick two better young men.
to do that. That was absolutely fantastic. So it matters, doesn't it? It matters that, uh, you know, the, the Bible calls eternal life living water. When you drink it, you will never thirst again. And it's free and it's pure and it saves, right? Jesus said, I am the living water. So it's when you believe in him, when you trust in him, you're saved. And it's a pure message. It's a simple message. It's a message that we have to be very careful doesn't get tainted. You say, well, it, it doesn't get tainted. I mean, we, every Christian knows the gospel. Well, do they? Do they? Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 6, this was not long after the beginning of the church. I mean, it was, it was not long after the gospel had gone to the, the Christians in Galatia. And Paul was writing to them and saying, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So there's a real problem within Christianity that somehow we depart from the main thing or we, we aren't guarding the main thing and we, we grow complacent or, or, or there's just such an urge that we have to do something to save ourselves that we accidentally or sometimes on purpose add pollution, add something that's not part of the gospel to the gospel. This is a serious issue. This is a big problem. It says in verse 7 of Galatians 1, which is not another. Okay, so there isn't such a thing as two gospels. There's only one. Okay. But there be some that trouble you and would what? Pervert the gospel of Christ. Anytime you add or take away, you can actually take away from the gospel, although that's hard. But whenever you do anything to the gospel, you're perverting the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, but though we, or an angel from heaven, okay, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Do you know what that word is? Anathema. Strong word. Serious stuff, folks. The purity of the gospel is important. And then it says it again. You know, Scripture, if it says it once, it's important, it's powerful. But if it repeats itself, it's like, we had better really pay attention to this. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach another gospel unto you than that which ye have received... Let him be anathema, accursed. It was only 20 years after the birth of the church that they had to have what Dr. Phil Stringer, my colleague and my co-author on evangelism made simple. He called it the first grace conference. And I like to agree with him because in Acts 15, 24, there had been an issue and the issue was that people were adding to the gospel. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. There was a pollution. There was an addition to the gospel. You, you need to put your trust in Jesus Christ and 
You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the laws. You shouldn't eat pork. You need to be baptized. You need to give to money. You need to be in all the services. You need to be in our church because only our church can save you. These are not items that are included in the gospel. And so the first grace conference in Antioch uh, straightened that out. It's one or the other, folks. It's not, it cannot be both. Once you've added, you've polluted. One of the hardest verses that we were required to memorize when I was young and also in Bible college, when we took a course on personal evangelism, is Romans eleven six. And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. It's one or the other. It's grace or works. It cannot be both. You cannot blend the two together. It cannot be. So what is the gospel? So if we're, if we're trying to come to this uh, idea of the, the purity of the gospel, uh, with what is exactly, what does the Bible say that saves someone from hell to heaven? I think the best place that we can find it in a concise manner is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says in verse 1, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Gospel means good news. Which I preached unto you, which ye have received. Okay, that word's important. The gospel is a a simple message, but you have to receive it. Okay? And wherein ye stand. So once you've received it, you have it. You're standing in it. It won't change. By which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory that what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So, so this was a message that came directly from the Lord Jesus. Remember, Paul was a persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jew of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was under the, the greatest uh, tutelage of Judaism of the day. And he was passionate about Judaism and about the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was so mad about these so-called Christians that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He went about persecuting the Christians and even was complicit in the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. He was there holding the coats. And he was, he was on his way to do more damage to Christians when he literally saw the light. He received the gospel directly from Jesus. He believed and then he became the greatest missionary the world has ever known for he took the gospel across the, the known world to the Gentiles primarily. But he were, brought the gospel to the Jew first because he was Jewish. He loved the Jewish people. He desperately wanted the Jewish people to see what he had seen, to find what he had found. But he would bring the gospel first to the Jews, to the synagogues, and then go uh, to the, the Gentile population. And he believed this. He delivered it to them when he brought them the gospel in Corinth, and they received it. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So from that passage, the gospel that saves you from hell to heaven is a simple one sentence, eight word message. Here's the gospel. Jesus Christ 
died for our sins and arose. It's an eight word gospel. The gospel message is not complicated. Now, we may need to explain what sin is and and how we're all sinners. We may need to explain more about Christ and who he was and and how he was the promised one and and, and how he never sinned in his life. We may need to explain some of the, the details of that sentence, but the sentence is the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins and arose. And and it's a simple message. And how do I receive the gospel? This is usually where we run into trouble. When I go to church uh, and I'm speaking at different churches, I always go to the track rack and I pull them out and I always read the last line. Because that's the gospel is usually pretty good on all these tracks. But when I get to the last line, it usually has an error in it. And these are good churches. These are fundamental churches. These are churches that stand on the word of God, but they've added, I think mostly accidentally added to the gospel. And this is something that we are most passionate about. If you want to know what the main thing of Quentin Road is, it is to protect the clear gospel of grace. So how do you receive the gospel? How do you get saved? We know the gospel is Jesus Christ died for our sins and arose. And how do we gain eternal life from that message? The Bible says you need to receive that. You need to believe. Okay? That's in verse 2 of the passage we just read. It's also later in verse 11. And it's the Greek word pastuyo, which means simply to trust in, to have faith in, to commit one's trust to. So you're not doing anything, and that's usually where people get it wrong, You have to go do something or you have to promise God something. No, you just believe God. You believe that, that he died for you and rose again. And I, I trust in him. I trust in what he's done for me on the cross. It's the simple, simple gospel. And that's not works. When you just believe the message, you're not doing any work. And once you start doing a work, I have to be baptized. I have to be better. I have to do I have to be a better husband. You know, all of these things are good, but none of those things can save you. Why? Because we're sinners. We can't get rid of our sin by doing any good works. That's why Jesus did it all for you on the cross. Here's what religion is. Religion is do. You do this. You do that. You look at all religions. Even some within Christian, many within Christianity. You do this. You, you say these prayers. You count these beads and say these prayers. You, um, you do acts of penance. Uh, you, uh, need to be a better person. Uh, you know, go through all religion. It's do, 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 do. Jesus, when you've put your trust in Him, it's done. It's done. You're not doing anything. He's already done it all for you on the cross. So really, the way to receive the gospel is believe. And again, pistuyo is the key word, and that's to believe, to trust, to depend on. It's in both of the verses that we hang on our wall. Um, here in, in John 3.16, it's the word believe or believeth. And then in Ephesians 2.8 and 9, it's in the word faith in Ephesians 2.8. Those are the same Greek words. One is in the noun form, one is in the verb form. But the book of John, people would agree, 
the book of the gospel of John is written as a kind of a gospel track to the world. How do I know that? Well, look at the purpose statement of the book of John in John 20, 31. It says these, but these are written. What? The, the rest of the book. Okay. Why was the gospel of John written? That ye might what? Believe. That it, pastuyo. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So how, how do I receive the gospel? I believe. I pastuyo. I put my trust in Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And it's in, Pastuyo is in the gospel of John over a hundred times. Okay? And if it's God's gospel track to the world, then I think we should go with that. Right? Now, another piece of evidence that you can't do anything is by God often using the word gift. Gift as it relates to salvation. I love to give gifts. I love to see people's reaction. Uh, when I give a gift, I give it to them, and all they do is what? Take it. They're, they're believing me that this is a gift. They're trusting me that this is a gift. Now, if they say, thank you so much, but then I take it back, it's not a gift. If they take it and say, thank you so much, what do I owe you? It's not a gift. If they give me one penny, it's not a gift. Because it's now debt. If they say, well, what can I do? Can I, can I help around the house? Can I mow your yard? Yes. But not as a repayment of, of the gift. Because it's a gift. You cannot work for it. If you work for it, you've negated the gift. If you've paid for it, you've negated the gift. If the gift is taken back, you've negated the gift. A gift is something that is offered free. You say, how could God offer eternal life as a gift, as a free gift? Well, because that's the only way it can be. Why? Because we're sinners. If you're saying, well, Jesus did his part, I'm doing my part. Like, I believe that he died for me, but I still have to do certain things to either get it or keep it. What you're saying is, Jesus didn't do enough. If you say, well, Jesus died... And, and I believe that, but, but I have to work uh, to, to make sure I get eternal life. Um, you're saying that, that Jesus didn't need to die. If you could save yourself by works, why would Jesus have died at all? The worst thing in the entire world to happen was Jesus, the creator, God in the flesh, dying on the cross. But it was also the greatest thing. And if, he did, if we could save ourselves by our works, he wouldn't have needed to die. Right, So you all understand the word gift is a very important word and it's associated with eternal life and salvation. That's important. Works destroy a gift. Romans 4, 4, 4 and 5. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth, there it is, on him that justifieth the ungodly, his works are counted for righteousness. Oh good, so you're paying attention. No, and I'm glad you shouted that out because if the pastor gets it wrong, you need to tell the pastor he got it wrong. Okay? His faith is counted for righteousness. 
So, so folks, works destroy a gift. What did Paul and Silas say to the jailer when he asked what he must do to be saved? In Acts 16.31, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's a simple message, folks. We're visiting a man in our church that uh, serving time in a state uh, prison. And I was with my colleague and who's a pastor and they start joking around. We're in the jail. We're in jail at the visiting area. And they're starting to joke around about how they're going to break him out. I'm like, you guys, I know, you're, I know you're doing this to kind of just be funny and relieve the tension of all of this, you know. But they're like talking like this. I'm like, you guys, stop it. You know, I'm, I know they're, they're listening to us, right? Like, you don't joke around about stuff like that. But they just thought it was the, the funniest thing. And then, and I said, listen, it, it, okay, let's just say there's a big earthquake and like all the fences fall down and, and you could walk out. What are you going to do? He said, I'm gone. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, you got to read the story in Philippians about the Philippian jail. So anyways, um, I know that would be really tempting, but Paul and Silas were imprisoned and there was an earthquake and they didn't run. And that led to this conversation with the jailer in Philippi. And so that's a simple message, folks. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Always err on the side of grace. If it even smells like human achievement, avoid saying it. Also, there's something that you do with any any passage of scripture, and it's a simple principle or hermeneutic, a, a, a method of interpreting scripture, and that is interpret the complicated or the unclear. There's a few verses that people struggle with, just a few when it comes to the gospel, with the clear. The clear are, are the, the most prevalent verses in the Bible. Very simple, like the ones that I've read to you today. You cannot get those wrong. So then if there are a few that seem to say you have to do something, um, interpret the unclear with the clear. Okay? So this is very important. Let's get to six ways to give the gospel wrong. Number one, somebody would say to be saved, make Jesus the Lord of your life. That sounds right. And we should make Jesus the Lord of our life. Absolutely. But not to be saved. Why? Because that's works. Okay? Um, so some people have, don't have a proper understanding when Jesus said in, in several of the Gospels, it's recorded, that if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself and you need to take up your cross and follow me. And they say that is a verse about salvation. Is that true? Uh, one such man who I respect in many ways, who is a, a, a true Bible believer, uh, and he's made some great stands, especially during COVID, um, out in California, John MacArthur. Um, but he really gets the gospel wrong, folks. He, and the reason I'm saying that is because he, he wrote this in the book, The Gospel According to Jesus. He says this about Matthew 16, 24 and, and those other gospel passages that I just related to you. Let me say again unequivocally that Jesus summons to deny self and follow him was an invitation to salvation, not a second step of faith following salvation. Those who are not willing to lose their lives for Christ are not worthy of him. 
He wants disciples willing to forsake everything. This calls for full-scale self-denial, even willingness to die for his sake if necessary. So is he saying that you, in order to be saved, you need to be willing to die for Jesus? That's what he's saying. That's what he says. He says that if you want to be saved, you need to be willing to forsake everything. How many of us truly are willing to forsake everything? Now, we should be. We should be willing to die for Christ. But is that how we're saved? If it is, we're all lost, folks. We're all lost. M.R. Dehan in 1959, as he was commenting on the book of Hebrews, he wrote this about the same idea that we just read John MacArthur's interpretation of. M.R. Dehan said, there is a vast difference between coming to Jesus for salvation and coming after Jesus for service. Coming to Christ makes one a believer, while coming after Christ makes one a disciple. You see the distinction, and I agree with him. All believers are not disciples. To become a believer, one accepts the invitation of the gospel. To be a disciple, one obeys the challenge to a life dedicated of dedicated service and separation. Salvation comes through the sacrifice of Christ. Discipleship comes only by sacrifice of self and surrender to his call for devoted service. Salvation is free, but discipleship involves paying the price of a separated walk. Salvation can't be lost because it depends on God's faithfulness, but discipleship can be lost because it depends upon our faithfulness. Do you see the distinction? And and, and this is where a lot of people would disagree, but I see a, a, a... a clear separation between salvation and service. And then if we want to, if we want to look at what, well, Jesus was talking to his disciples. If you read earlier, they already had believed in him. So when he said, follow me, he wasn't saying for salvation. He was saying, follow me as my disciple, as, as a student, as a servant. Okay. This is important. Why? Because if you tell the lost, to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to be saved, you're asking someone, according to a passage in Ephesians 2, who is dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, and living their lives in the lusts of their flesh, fulfilling the desires of flesh and of the mind, and by nature the children of wrath, that they need to have the most spiritual moment right before salvation. That's what you're saying which is quite impossible. It's it's one of those things that, yeah, we should make Jesus the Lord of our life and he should be Lord of every area of our, area of our life. But that that's the Christian life, is learning that. What did Paul say? Paul said he's the chief of sinners. You know, he found himself coming short of being the disciple he should be in some ways. Now, we don't see that in his life, really. But if you tell a lost person they need to make Jesus the Lord of their life, then you're going to frustrate them. Because after a little bit, they're going to realize that they are failing in that regard. Okay, uh, Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So works do follow or should follow salvation, but that's not a way of salvation. And if you don't have works, you say, well, uh, you know, 
And why do people teach lordship salvation? They're frustrated because of carnality in the lives of people that call themselves Christians. Listen, I'm frustrated with carnal Christians. I'm frustrated with myself sometimes, okay? Don't let that frustration make you mess up the gospel, okay? This is a very, very simple and important thing. So don't use that term in order to invite someone to uh, be saved. Number two, the wrong gospel number two. To be saved, you need to turn from sin. Let me just tell you something real quick. Sin is the problem. Sin is the issue. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. But how, if you tell the lost, you need to turn from sin, how do you do that? What is that? You think scripture would give us some clear guidance on what that means, but it doesn't. You can't actually can't find that in scripture. If turning from sin is a requirement for eternal life, wouldn't you expect that to be clearly laid out in the Bible? But it's not. So a lost person that is told to turn from sin to be saved probably thinks that he must stop sinning or at the very least sin less. And maybe they'll have that as an attention, but after a few days or more likely a few hours, they're going to feel very lost because sin is still present in the life of even a born-again Christian. Unfortunately, but true. So most people get this term from an improper definition of the word repentance. And the Bible does say it a couple times in Acts that you need to repent to be saved. So what does repent mean? What does it mean? Most people think repentance as it relates to salvation means you need to promise to stop sinning, you need to turn from sin, or you need to be sorry for sin. And believe me, I hope that you're sorry for sin. And I hope that we turn from sin. But those are not things that will save you. What does repentance mean in scripture as it relates to salvation? It's the Greek word metanoio. And it means in every lexicon, in every definition, it means simply this, to change your mind. So when when you read repent uh, and uh, and have faith, in, in scripture, you're reading to change your mind. What does that mean? Well, I believe that repentance is changing your mind about what saves you. Okay, look at Acts 20, verse 21. It says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith, which is pistis, toward our Lord Jesus Christ. These two words, repentance and faith, are joined by a one article, and I believe that that tells me that repentance and faith are two aspects of the same thing, which is trust in Christ, okay? So when a person places his faith in Christ, he is changing his mind or repenting about his belief or his unbelief, okay? Now, We don't find the word repent or repentance in the book of John. Remember, that's the gospel track to the world. There are other words that I'm probably am not going to use when I'm giving the gospel because it confuses people. Usually people think repent means I need to to stop sinning or change my life. And I'm not going to use other words like propitiation. It's a very biblical word about salvation, but it's you don't have to explain all the technical things. All you have to do is say, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross for our sins and arose, and if you'll trust in him, you'll be saved. Okay. Now, I'm going to learn more about propitiation, justification, 
repentance, the biblical meaning of it, later of what happened when I was saved. Be careful about using unbiblical terms uh, when you're giving the gospel, or at least terms that are confusing to people. Wrong gospel number three, uh, some people say in order to be saved, you need to promise to live for Jesus. Okay, life, uh, Living a life of dedication and service to the one who saved us from hell to heaven is the logical thing to do. In Romans 12, 1, it says that I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Okay, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, that's logical, logikos, service. Okay, it's, it's the right thing to do in light of our salvation is to give our life to God. But it's not a, a way of salvation. It's, you have to first enter the door. Okay, Jesus said he is the door. So before you can live a life of faith, you have to go through the door of Christ by faith. Okay, I know this, you're saying, well, these are just little nuances. These are, do you want a brain surgeon that's like a run and gun guy and he's like fresh out of school and he's just zipping all over the place? Or do you want someone that has done it a long time and they're very careful, very careful? We need to be precise with the gospel. These are important things. Don't give the gospel wrong. Some of these things might be brand new to you. Just consider them. Think about them. Pray about them. Study. Study your Bibles. I believe it'll flesh all this out for you. Number four, to be saved, people say, give your life to God. Let me ask you a question. What can such despicable creatures possibly offer a perfect, holy, and righteous God? And besides, it's not us offering him anything. It's him offering us everything. So when we use the term, give your life to God, in the context of eternal life, we're changing the direction of the gift. The gift is a gift of God from God, not a gift of us from us. Okay? So don't use that term. Number five, to be saved, you need to confess with your mouth. Now, I believe it's good and it's important and it's right for us to confess Christ, to profess Christ, to tell others that we belong to him, what he's done for us, so that they can find what we found, the freedom from from that penalty of sin, the, the ability to walk with him because of what we have through him. And I think we should tell the whole world about it. But let's say you have a woman who was homeless and it was very cold one night and she, as she's laying there very cold and possibly about to freeze to death, she finds a piece of paper that blows up to her and she picks it up and she reads it and it's a gospel track. And she reads that she's a sinner and that she needs a savior and that there is a savior who created her and wants to redeem her and his name is Jesus. And he came and died for her sins and rose again. If you'll just believe in me, you'll be saved. And she does. And just after she puts her trust in Jesus Christ, she closes her eyes and succumbs to the elements and dies. Are we saying that she cannot go to heaven because she has not told one other person about Jesus Christ? And that's works anyways, isn't it? Okay, so you say, well, hold on. Hold on, pastor. What about Romans 10, 9? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Okay, Well, let me ask you another question. Is the poor soul born mute, condemned to hell? 
So this cannot mean that I have to confess with my mouth in order to be saved. What does it mean? Well, um, we, we have a book that will give you several good interpretations of Romans, um, of that verse in Romans. Dr. Phil Stringer and myself co-wrote Evangelism Made Simple. Uh, we have a, a lot of really important helps in here and things. And if you aren't a reader, we have a DVD uh, for you of us teaching these same chapters uh, that you can watch those things. And, and I encourage you to check those out. But let me just say real quick, in my opinion, this verse is primarily dealing with, uh, Romans 9 through 11 is primarily dealing with God keeping his promises to Israel. And so I believe that this is referring to salvation from ultimate um, destruction, a physical salvation of the nation of Israel. But there's other ways to look at that passage. None of them have to do with you having to share or confess Christ to somebody else. Now, I think you should. That's why we wrote this series and this book. We, we believe you should. That's why we're here. You know, if you were saved and, and, and uh, you didn't need to share this with anyone else and God just takes you out of the earth at the very moment of salvation, wouldn't that be nice? Why, why doesn't that happen? Because God has people that he wants you to talk to. Okay, But don't ever confuse that as a way of salvation. You say, well, what about 2 Timothy 2.12? Okay, 2 Timothy 2.12, if we deny him, he will deny us. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. If this passage is saying, if we deny the Lord, it means you've lost your eternal salvation or you never really had it in the first place, what about Peter, Peter, he denied the Lord three times. None of us would say, well, Peter lost his salvation or was never really saved in the first place. No, he did something stupid. He did something foolish. He did something in the flesh. He was scared. We all do those things. Are you telling me every chance you get, you're sharing the gospel? Okay. So, and also what about the next verse? Remember context in scripture. The next verse, if we believe not yet, he abided faithful. He cannot deny himself. Okay, So what is he denying? He's denying you blessings. He's denying you maybe answering your prayer because you have, you've denied him. You have uh, maybe in a moment of weakness not confessed him or, or maybe you never told another soul. And, and that's not the right way we should be as his children. So maybe there's going to be a time when if you're not obeying him, he's not going to answer a prayer, but that doesn't mean he's kicking you out. He's, he is faithful. He is faithful. He cannot deny himself. Jesus paid for all sin. Denying Christ is a terrible sin, but Jesus paid for all sin on the cross. And then the sixth of our six ways to give the gospel wrong, people say to be saved, you need to take Jesus into your heart. Now, you may have heard that as especially as a young person, and that's what you did. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying this is not a clear way to explain the gospel. Why? Because it's not in the Bible. You say, oh, yes, it is. Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. Where does it say heart? It doesn't say heart anywhere. It says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in uh, to him and I'll sup with him and he with me. What is this talking about? What's the context? The, the churches of Revelation. Some were doing great, some were doing bad. This is Laodicea. They were doing the worst. They're saved, but they're carnal. And he said, I would spew you out of my mouth. But he wants to fellowship. The door is the door of the church, not the door of your heart. Okay. Now, why is this 
a problem. Why, why should I not say to be saved, take Jesus into your heart? First of all, it's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. But it's also going to confuse children. Children are going to be very confused by this because what do they think when you say that? They think they need to somehow let Jesus into their pump. They don't understand the innermost being, the innermost, the cardia, as, as it's here in the Greek, our, our real person, okay? So they don't understand that. And some people say, well, hold on a second. What about Ephesians 3.17? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Okay? Well, let me tell you something. The, and we do believe that, that Christ does dwell in our heart, but it's because of the Holy Spirit that indwells us at the moment of salvation. And there's one God. Okay? This is not saying you need to invite him in. This is not a a requirement of salvation. It's a result of salvation. Okay. So that's the difference here. Jesus, where is he right now? He's physically bodily at the right hand of the father in heaven. But at the very moment you put your trust in Jesus, the spirit of God indwells you. And in a sense, Jesus Christ does as well, but don't ever confuse a result of salvation with a requirement of salvation. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that you're the temple of God and the Spirit dwelleth in you. Jesus is already in us through the Spirit at the moment of faith. He's there and we don't need to invite him in. And it's confusing, especially to children. Folks, do you want to confuse children? It is better to hang a millstone about your neck and be thrown into the sea than to um, confuse or offend a little one. Let's be careful. Let's be precise Let's make sure that the message that is the, the most important message of the Bible, the message of salvation from hell to heaven, is a message that we keep pure. A message that we are passionate about, that we don't let any pollution in. And when we give the gospel, or as a ministry, as a church, as we share the gospel, we want to share this eternal, living water, pure of any impurities. <laughs> impurities, thank you. Okay, keep it pure, keep it simple. It's don't add anything to the gospel. You say, well, these are just a little ticky tack things. These aren't, I had one evangelist. He's literally an evangelist, a good man. I love him. But he said, you know, Pastor Scudder, you're really picky about, you know, the gospel. And, and I don't know that we need to be that picky. I'm like, what? You're an evangelist. You know, of all people that should be picky about the gospel. He goes, you know what? Just do your best and let the Holy Spirit um, help that person understand. I said, well, wouldn't it be better if we made sure that the message was the message that's in the Bible? You know, so I think we, um, stopped supporting him as an evangelist. It was, wasn't in our, in this church, but yeah, we're going to be picky. Yeah, we're going to be picky because we're talking about the living water. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about making sure that the message that we tell people is a message that is pure and a message that is easy to receive and a message that, uh, when received, will save that person. It cannot have any works in it. It cannot have any hint of works in it. We have to be so cautious and so careful. Don't give the gospel wrong. And again, some of these things you may maybe never heard of. Maybe, maybe these, these concepts haven't crossed your mind. But now you know. And, and I'll tell you this, once someone's been in our church a while and they understand the, the gospel issues, once someone's been in our school or our college and they understand the gospel issues, 
you really get it. You really like, it's like a light bulb. Like the light just turned on. Now I understand it. These things might've confused you before because it does, it does put the impetus upon us. No, no, no. Salvation is putting the impetus fully upon God and our faith in him, our trust in him. And when you put your faith in him and him alone, you're saved today, tomorrow, and forever. One of the ways that we like to share the gospel is with a physical illustration. We give some of those uh, different illustrations in the book or in the video. Uh, But my dad would do this. He learned this in Bible college. Uh, His Bible college president would use this a lot. And he learned it from another uh, man of God. And so you can use any object, but let's just say pull out something like your billfold, your wallet, and say, let this represent sin. Let this hand, my left hand, represent us. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Let this hand, my right hand, represent Jesus. He has no sin, but you see what our sin does? It separates us from him. He's holy, he's perfect, he's righteous. He cannot stand sin, but he loves us. So what did he do? He came, God in the flesh, died for our sins on a cross, paid for our sins, and now he's inviting you to be saved. What do you have to do to be saved? I have to do better. I have to give money. I have to be baptized. I have to count beads and pray. I have to do penance. I have to do acts that that show God my sincerity. Or I have to do all of these things to show that I really had faith. No, because then you're backloading the gospel with works. Don't put it at the beginning or at the end. It's free. It's free. If you want that living water, that eternal water, just take it. It's free. Jesus says that if you will believe in me, if you will drink of the living water, look what happens. You're, you're putting your hand into his hand. You're believing him And look what happens. Your hand is closing, but so is his. You say, what if I mess up? What if I stop believing? What if I deny him? What if I, what? All those things. Okay, you let go, but guess what? The almighty, all-powerful hand of God has you. You are saved. You're a child of God. That can never change. And this is the gospel, the gospel of grace. God's redeeming grace, redemptive grace. It's a wonderful message of hope, of salvation. Let's make sure we keep it clear. Now, if you've never heard it that way and, and, and you want to make sure that, that you've put your faith in Jesus, please do that right now. Whether you're here or whether you're watching or listening, take this moment to say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and arose. I trust in him right now. If you'll do that, you're saved. Saved all the way to eternity.